You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. All right, good singing tonight. Turn to Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31. Plan to cover the whole chapter tonight. We're going to begin with verse 1. Last week, uh, in last week's text, Jacob had completed his 14-year contract with Laban uh, to purchase or to purchase the rights to marry his daughter Rachel. And now we know in that he was deceived. He, uh, after seven years, was given Leah, the other sister, instead, not the one that he was looking for, not the one that he had agreed to. And so then Laban, when they agreed to seven more years, he gave him Rachel also to be his wife. Now, they, at the end of that 14-year period, we saw this last week, they came to an agreement. They came to, uh, Jacob was done with his, his um, commitment to Laban, but they now come together and they, they come up with another agreement. The other agreement does not have a time frame. There was no set time frame, time limit on this other agreement. And in that, Jacob would keep being or would keep serving Laban. Laban could see that God was blessing Jacob. And he could see that God was blessing him. He was blessing Laban through Jacob. And he wanted to keep him working for him. And Jacob would care. The the deal was Jacob would care for the pure cattle, the sheep, and the goats of Laban. And any offspring of those that did not fit that pure qualification, they uh, they would become Jacob's. Now, that seemed like a great plan to Laban. In fact, he said, hey, if you'll sign off to that, I'll take it. Now, Laban, surely he thought, this is going to increase my wealth. Because when you take two pure colored animals, they typically are going to produce more pure colored animals. Uh, But God blessed Jacob instead. And God, God increased the wealth of Jacob far beyond what he did with Laban. And so that didn't sit well. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 31. I'm going to read you verses 1 through 21 right now, so bear with me. And then we'll, we'll talk about these. Verse 1 says, And when he heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's. And of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. In other words, um, he, he took all the stuff that he thinks is his, he took it from our dad. And it rightfully was our dad's, but he has gotten all this glory. He has gotten all this stuff by stealing it from our father. Verse 2, And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers, and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to, to the field unto his flock, and said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as before. But the God of my father hath been with me. And ye know that with all my power I have served your father. And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God suffered him not to hurt me. And he said thus, The speckled shall be thy wages. Then all the cattle uh, bear speckled. And if he said thus, The ringstake shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ringstake. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived, that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ringstraked, speckled, and grizzled. 
And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, and saying, Jacob. And I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see, all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked and speckled and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel. Where thou anointest a pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me, now arise, get thee out of this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us, and hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is ours, and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels, and he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in Padanaram, for to go unto Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. And Laban went unto shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had. And he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. I've, I've entitled tonight, It's Time to Leave, But the World Won't Let Go. It's Time to Leave, But the World Won't Let Go. We see here that it had come time for Jacob to leave this place. The Lord had blessed Jacob. Laban's sons began to grumble that, that everything that Jacob had belonged to their father. And that, they, that he had stolen this from his father. They, they viewed Jacob as having taken what would have become their inheritance. They saw Jacob's wealth increasing greatly at the expense of their fathers the way that they saw it. And really, that is true. But it was also, first of all, it was an agreed-upon plan, but it was also the plan of God. Now, they did not have proof that he had stolen anything. They did not have proof that he had done anything wrong. But their envy does not need proof. And so oftentimes we hear people argue and talk about people and say they did this and assume things. And you have no proof, yet we don't let that stop us, do we? We think we can judge the heart of someone else. We think we can see what they're doing and say, I know what they're doing. And we have to stop, pull that back and say, uh, hey, you know what? If I have an issue with them, I need to go to them. Instead of assuming the worst about everyone else. So, I'm guessing that their complaining had reached the ear of their father, Laban. And uh, Laban now begins to act differently towards Jacob. He had once pre appreciated Jacob. He had once treated him with favor, knowing that it was God that was blessing him because of Jacob. But Laban is now treating Jacob differently. We're not told exactly what his attitude was. We're just told that his countenance, his demeanor was different. Toward him, and we, we assume and we can tell that it was not good. And so then in verse 3, Jacob is told to go home. Now we're told, we know that Jacob had already been told a couple of times that he would return home. In Genesis chapter 28, in verse 4, in verse 13, and verse 21, all of those indicate that Jacob would be returning home to the promised land and he knew it. But God said, now is the time. But in verse 3, he doesn't just say it's time to go, but he gives him a promise. Then he says... And I will be with you. What an encouragement to know that when God says go, that he will be with us. And by the way, even if God doesn't give you a thus saith the Lord, go here and I will be with you. If God leads you to go somewhere, he will go with you. Then in verse 4, Jacob calls his two wives. Now it's interesting there, he did not call his concubines, right? 
We had Vilda and uh, the other one, whatever. I don't know why I can't remember her name. But uh, he only calls Rachel and Leah. He does not, the two wives. The other two, the Bible, sometimes the Bible says he took her to wife, but she's not considered a real wife. She would be more of a concubine. And he calls them to come out into the field. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever, like, if you work in the garage, sometimes you might, I'm, I sometimes I'll knock on the door and ask my wife to come outside because I'm dirty and filthy. I don't know why he said, you come out to the field instead of him going out. Maybe he couldn't leave the sheep. It was shearing time. And so maybe there was just too much to do. Maybe he wanted privacy. He didn't want anybody to hear what he was about to talk about. But he had been given direction from God to leave. Now, what we might think he would have done, especially in Old Testament times, or if we were pretty dogmatic about things, we might say, he should have just got up and said, let's go, get in the bus, let's go. Right? Get on your camel, we're going. Pack up your stuff, we're getting out of here. But he doesn't do that. In ancient cultures, and even in some cultures today, and even some cultures in Christianity, the women are treated like servants. But Proverbs 31.11 tells us that the husband of a virtuous woman trusts her. He trusts his wife. He trusts that woman. The phrase head of the home, when the Bible teaches that the man is the head of the wife, that does not mean dictatorship. But it means servant leadership. And I trust my wife, and we talk about every major decision for our family. There are certain decisions that we make as a church that my wife doesn't know about until you know about. Uh, there are times where we have, to, we have to talk about things with the leadership of the church. But when it comes to our family and our home, we talk about everything. And there are many times where we don't agree. And there are many times where we don't agree and she wins. You go, well, are you being the leader of your home? Yes. Because I trust my wife. The heart of her husband doth faithfully, the trust in her. Now, I think that we think of leadership as making the final decision. All right? So sometimes we think that my wife and I were going to talk about it, but I'm going to make the final decision because I'm the leader, I'm the head of the home. And, and there may be some truth to that, and maybe some times for that. But what leadership really looks like is being the initiator and facilitator of a movement. Hey, you know what, honey? I think, I think we need to do this. I think we need to go here. We need to do this. Hey, kids, here's what we need to do. Hey, church, here's what I believe we need to do. I have been blessed far beyond so many of pastors that I know um, who they say, man, every business meeting is a fight. Former pastors here have told me that. Every business meeting, it just sometimes things get rough. I've never had to deal with that, and I hope I never do. Because leadership is not me telling you or me telling my wife or me telling my children, this is what we're going to do and I don't want to hear any back talk about it. Leadership is leading or introducing or initiating movement and facilitating that movement. And here's what I found. When we do that, when godly people are led godly ways, they are godly and they follow doesn't mean that every idea Pastor Stephen has is the best idea. There have been many times in leadership meetings where I have suggested something and I've been, you know, somebody said, hey, I'm not sure if that's a good idea. It's time to step back. Guys, especially men as leaders, we're not the dictators. But we are to initiate and to facilitate movement. Godly leadership is seen more on the front end of the situation than it is on the back end of the situation. We start off leading and that's the way it goes. We shouldn't have to wait until the end to make a determination. Sometimes that may happen. Now, once again, Jacob has no apprehension. And he has no apprehension about telling them 
hey, telling his, telling his wives, listen, uh, I want you to examine what I've done. I want, I want you to take the quality of my service into account as we talk about this. Now, uh, in return for his good service, Laban had deceived him and treated him unfairly. Uh, he made the case that if Laban had promised him speckled, God was given speckled. If Laban had promised him the grizzled, then God would give him the grizzled. Um, if he had promised him ring straight, ring straight, then the cattle would have been born that way. But it was God that was giving the increase. And Jacob revealed to his wives that God had told him in a dream that he had seen how Laban had mistreated. Listen, that doesn't get me by God. Man, nobody sees the way this guy's treating me. And I wonder if there were times where Jacob knew he was being mistreated by Laban, and he's like, nobody sees this. It's always behind closed doors. My boss never does it to me in front of people. He calls me in his office, and he tears me apart. Listen, God sees it. And God tells Jacob, hey, I've seen the way he's treating you, but I'm going to bless you anyway. And in that dream, God reassures Jacob of who he is. Now, maybe he was concerned about how his wives were going to respond. And I could imagine that that would be true. He's going to call out his father-in-law. He's going to be very clear about their dad. But they were not blind to what was going on. In fact, they had their own complaints. They said, is there any inheritance for us? In other words, it's already gone. You know, we were supposed to receive something. The dowry was something that would have been passed down. It was something that they would have, that, that would have been there for them. But the Bible tells us that he had already spent it. He already wasted it. But it does seem that they should have received something except that he ruined it. Now I want you to know that this was not just about money. This was not about a dad who, could not, who couldn't, uh, couldn't afford to do what he wanted to do for his daughters. This was not about a dad who did everything he could, but he just simply could not do what they wanted him to do. This was about a dad who had betrayed his daughters. Matthew Henry wrote this about these girls. Those that are really... Those that are really their husband's helpmeets will never be their hindrances in doing that which God calls them. Uh, you know, when, 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 I, when I felt God was calling me to preach, and I've often wondered, God, why didn't you let me do this when I was 18 years old? So I could have just had my whole life like that. And I know God has a plan, and, and many times you can see how God is doing these kinds of things. But when I, I did not surrender publicly to preach until my wife was with me. And not that she was never with me. I asked her one day, I said, Honey, how far, and I've told you this before, how far will you go with me and be happy? And, and I said, Then how far will you go with me and not be happy? And how far before you just won't go with me? And she said, I will go with you wherever God wants us. might take me some time to get adjusted, but I will go wherever God wants us. When we came to First Baptist Church, it was not... This is what God's doing. Get on board, because we're going. It was when we were in agreement. Now, I knew what God wanted, and she knew what God wanted, and it lined up. And that's the way it works when we're following and seeking God. It didn't take a dictator, but it had to take a leader to move where God wants us to move. My wife was my helpmate and not a hindrance in my ministry. Verse 17 he sees the support of his wives and Jacob packs everyone up and everything that God had blessed him with and he secretly begins to head to the promised land. Now, Laban's out in the field. He's out shearing the sheep and he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know that Rachel went into his tent and stole his idols. Um, 
the river, then they come to a river. The river that they cross there is not the Jordan River. We might think, well, it's the Jordan. But uh, after looking at some maps and doing some research, I believe it was probably the Armuk River that they crossed because they came to the place of Gilead. The place of Gilead was on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan River. They had not crossed over the Jordan yet when they come to this place. Now we come to verse 22. Verse 22, and it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. And he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount of Gilead. And God came to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night, and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the Mount of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what hast thou done that thou hast stolen away, unaway, stolen away unawares unto me, and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword? Wherefore didst thou flee away, from, flee away secretly, and steal away from me, and did not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth, and with songs, and with tabret, and the harp? And, the harp? and hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Thou hast not done foolishly in, in so doing. It is in the power of mine hand to do you hurt. But God, the God of your father, spake unto me yesternight, saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. And now, though thou wouldest needs be gone, because thou sore longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, and I said, For adventure, I would take, thou would take by force thy daughters from me. With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Before our brethren, discern thou what is thine with me, and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, and into the two maidservants' tents. And, but he found them not. Then went he out of Leah's tent, and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images, and put them in the camel's furniture, and sat upon them. And Laban searched not searched all the tent, but found them not. And she said unto her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise up before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched, but found not the images. And Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban. And Jacob answered and said unto Laban, What is my trespass, and what is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it here before my brethren and thy brethren, that they may judge between, betwixt us both. This twenty years have I been with thee. Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young, nor the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That thou which has torn of beast, that, that thou which was torn of beast, I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was... In the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the, and the fear of Isaac, hath been with me, surely thou hast sent me away now empty. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesterday. So here, in these verses, we see Laban's confrontation of Jacob. And when Laban found out that Jacob had taken everything, he knew right where he was headed. He knew he was headed back home. He knew he longed 
to go back home. And so he catches up with him in Gilead. Now Laban was angry. He was able to let that anger build up in him for seven days. And he probably thought to himself, that's that ungrateful scoundrel. I knew he wasn't good enough for my daughters. I knew he was going to do me wrong. But the Bible is clear, and he knew it too, that Jacob was the cause of Laban's blessings. When we are upset with someone, our minds don't recall the whole story. Or we won't admit the whole story. But, the, but God knew that in Laban was rage. And apparently that rage was headed toward a violent confrontation. So God spoke to Laban in a dream and warned him about the way he was going to interact with Jacob. So Laban changes his approach. Instead of becoming violent, he becomes a hypocrite. He, co- he approaches him in hip- hypocrisy. He says, Why would you do this to me? I didn't get to say goodbye to my daughters. I didn't get to say goodbye to my grandsons. It's like they're captives of, captives of war being taken away from home. And he says, listen, if you would have just come to me, I would have given you this big send-off. And I would have given you mirth. And I would have just, man, it would have been awesome. We would have had a party. We would have had singing. And it would have just been something where we sent you off happily. But they both knew that that wasn't true. We know that he was being disingenuous. He would have found a way. And he would have done his best to find a way to, by persuasion or by force, to prevent them from leaving But God had told him it was time to leave. And it seems like somewhere between verse 27 and verse 29, his demeanor changes. He says in verse 27 that, hey, we would have had this party. And I didn't get to say goodbye. And then verse 29, he says, it's in the power of my hand to do you hurt, but the God of your father spake unto me. I wonder if if he said those things and he saw the anger beginning to build, so he gets angry. He sees Jacob's anger beginning to build. And so he gets angry. Now, maybe then, he, then uh, he becomes more aggressive in Laban than asks Jacob. He, he says this. Let, let me read this again because I want to make sure I get this right. Verse 30. And now, though thou wouldest needs be gone, because thou sore longest after thy father's house, yet therefore, wherefore hast thou stolen my God? So here's what he said. You keep talking about going home. You're acting like that's why you want to go home. If that's really why you want, want to go home, why did you steal my God's? So he's accusing him of, of taking something and, and fleeing, hoping not to get caught. Maybe this conclusion was a result of his sons. Maybe his, he had been listening to his sons. Maybe even though he knew the truth, maybe he thought, you know, this guy is stealing from me. Then Laban knew what he had agreed to, but he felt duped. He really thought, I think he really thought he was going to come out ahead on this deal. He really thought... That this, that this dumb kid is making this agreement with me. I mean, he's already worked 14 years for my daughters. What's wrong with this guy? And so, hey, you know what? I can keep, I can keep this going. I think he really believed that he would come out in that, ahead in that deal, but he feels duped that he didn't come out ahead. And so Jacob tells Laban uh, that he said, I didn't tell you we were leaving because, listen, if I told you we were leaving, I was convinced you would take my daughters and you would... You, would, you wouldn't let them go, and you would do this by force. And then there's no doubt that Laban would have attempted to keep his daughters at home. So then he says to Laban, he says, listen, Laban, fine. You think I stole your stuff? I didn't steal your stuff. And I have so much confidence in all my people that if you can find it in my camp, then whoever took it will be put to death. He didn't know that his wife, Rachel, the favorite wife, 
had stolen these things from her dad. Now, so Laban goes around and he searches and he and she says, "No, I can't get up right now because of uh, because of the custom of women." And she says, "So I'm not going to get up." And so she makes an excuse and he says, "Okay, fine." So he never finds it. That's the providence of God there, um, in spite of the fact that she had uh, she had sinned. So then Jacob has enough and he lets Laban have it. He says, "Why have you pursued me with such anger? I have served you faithfully for 20 years." Why do I deserve this treatment? All of Jacob's dealings with Laban were upright and honest. We, we, we could look at Jacob. We can certainly find fault in Jacob. Jacob was a sinner like everyone else. And Jacob wasn't done making bad decisions. But what he did it was work hard and work faithfully for his father-in-law for all those years. Jacob's dealings with him were upright and honest. And he even tells him, he says, listen, under my watch... None of your animals miscarried. I watched over them. I cared for them. None of them miscarried their offspring. He says, when I ate meals, I never ate your cattle. I always ate my own. We, we never sacrificed yours. We never, we never used your meat. It was always my own. Listen, also, when an animal was destroyed by, by a beast, the shepherd could take the uneaten carcass. And he could take that to the owner and demonstrate that yes, this animal was attacked, but I went and fought that bear. I went and fought that lion. I went and fought whatever it was. And I saved the carcass and I, I, I showed courage. And so if a man, if a shepherd could go to the, to the owner and say, look at this is, this is what happened. I didn't eat it. I didn't hide it. But an animal got it. Then it would not be counted against him. But Jacob didn't even do that. He says, anytime something happened, I replaced it out of my own flock. I, I never took one of yours. I took, he took responsibility for his job. We don't see this ethical attitude much in today's workforce. We see people doing everything they can to not take the blame. To not take the blame for what they did or for the mistake. Even if it was like, well, it was partly your fault. Okay, I probably could have done better. Yeah, but if that person had done their job, then it wouldn't even have been on my plate. If You know what? I, don't, I have nothing to do with it. They hide it. We, we, people don't want to own up. He said, listen, even though I had reason to come to you, even though I had the right to come to you and say, this isn't my fault, he said, I didn't do it. I took responsibility for the fact that an animal got attacked in the first place. Jacob had endured difficult circumstances. The Bible tells us here that, that the weather had caused him problems. Had, it had been cold or it had been dry or it had been all these things. Then he says, I didn't even in that. Your, your flock was profitable. Even in that, I didn't, I never lost one of your animals that shouldn't have been lost. So through his 20 years of labor, Laban had unfairly changed his wages. Two times he says that it had happened ten times. Jacob knows that if it had not been for the Lord's protection, the Lord's providence, that he would have left with nothing. And God intervened and blessed his obedience and faithfulness. And then we come to verse 43. And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou seest is mine. And what can I do this day unto thee, my daughters, or unto their children which they have borne? Now therefore come and let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. 
And Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they did eat there upon the heap. And Laban said, Laban called it Jegger Sahadutha. I was going to practice that one, but I forgot to. But we're just going to go with that. But Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is witness between me and thee this day. Therefore was the name of it called Galid. And Mitzvah, for he said, The Lord watch between me and thee. And when we are absent from one another, if thou shalt afflict my daughters, or if thou shalt take other wives beside my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness betwixt me and thee. And Laban said unto Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold this pillar which I have cast betwixt me and thee. This heap be witness, and this pillar be witness, that I will not pass over this heap to thee, and thou shalt not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. And the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judged betwixt us. And Jacob sware by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered the sacrifice upon the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they did eat and tarried all night, uh, all night in the mountain. And early in the morning Laban rose up and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned unto his place. So here in, these, in this last part of this chapter, Laban and Jacob come to an agreement. They, they make a covenant. At the beginning of that in verse 43, Laban comes and he says, Hey, look at everything. These are my daughters. These are my grandchildren. All the cattle. Everything you have, it's really mine. So he's, he's beginning to believe what his sons were saying. He's beginning, because of his anger, because of his envy of Jacob, he's now saying, it's all mine. I really feel that he had convinced himself that Jacob was indebted to him. And that see, he was somehow responsible for Jacob's success. And not vice versa. I think he'd convince himself that if it wasn't for him, Jacob would have nothing. And if it wasn't for him, Jacob would still be wandering around looking for a wife. But it is only because of God that he had all the things that he had. It wasn't because of Laban. God used Laban. God used a man who we can see here was acting very ungodly. And God used him to provide for his man. God used him, an ungodly person, to provide for the one through whom the seed would come. And he felt that, hey, this kid's indebted to me. It wasn't long ago, it was six years before that, that he realized that he needed Jacob. That Jacob was the one through whom God was blessing, and now he feels that this guy owes me something. I don't owe him anything. But he concedes that he's lost. He concedes that he's lost this battle. He, he concedes that, well, he stole from me, and it's nothing I can do about it. So Laban proposes that they make a covenant. The Bible says Jacob and his men took stones and made a heap there to make a covenant. The... the uh, the word that Laban used, Jegar Sahadutha, I'm going to just go with that, uh, that, that is a, an Aramaic word, and, and a Jacob used the Jewish word, Galid. Both of them mean a heap of stones. So they mean the same thing, they just said it in different languages. But then in verse 49, the Bible says this, it says, and Mizpah. So they, uh, he had, they had named the place Galid, but then it says, and Mizpah. So it's got two names for this place. And the place in Gilead that all this took place now, is now known as Ramath Gilead or Ramath Mizpah. 
That's the, that's the name for it today. Mitzvah means watchtower or lookout. Today, based on Jewish tradition, many people exchange a coin necklace. And that coin necklace is two pieces. And there's actually two necklaces, each one having half of the coin. And it is called the Mizpah coin necklace. Each necklace is a half of a coin that often quotes verse 49 on it. It quotes what they said here, that the Lord watched between me and thee when we are absent from one another. This coin is used to symbolize God's watching over two people while they're separated. That they, When they're going to be separated for some time, they will, they will each take half of that necklace, half of that coin on a necklace, and they'll wear it, and they'll keep it, and they'll say, may God watch over you and God watch over me. And it's this very friendly and kind thing that happens, but that's not what's happening here in this passage. This passage is not about two people loving each other and saying, I'm going to miss you, may God watch over you. It's much different here in verse 49. Laban meant it in the manner of God watching over you, waiting to punish you if you cross the line. That may God watch you, and if you take another wife to my daughters, other than my daughters, may God judge you. If you, if you so much as cross that line for harm, if you come after me, may God watch you. And he's using it in that manner. He's saying, you stay over there, I'll stay over here, and if anybody crosses it, God is my witness, you will regret it. Mizpah. May God watch over you. There is a battle, an emotional, a personal battle developing that has been developing for years. It developed because you have one person that is not being honest. You have somebody, someone who has changed his wages ten times, someone who has deceived him, somebody who has used him, but yet Jacob continually, faithfully served. The Bible tells us in verses 51 through 55 that Jacob agreed to this deal, and in the morning... Laban got up and kissed everybody and went back, went back home. So how do you take this and apply it? What shall we do? There are some passages in the Bible, there are some, man, there are some passages where the, the application is so clear. Uh, the, the week that I, Andrew and I were talking about this in my office, I think it was earlier this week, that there are sermons that you preach, there are passages you preach, you go, you start reading and you're going, I have no idea how I'm going to apply this. Jacob's 11 sons and his daughter being born. You're going, how am I going to apply this? Right? And there, but there is application all over Scripture. Laban worshipped other gods. We, we know that clearly because he had these other gods. In fact, he had passed that, that down. It seems as though Rachel had maybe added the God of Abraham to her gods, as we talked about this morning. His own daughter feels like she needs to have a backup plan. That, you know, just in case God doesn't Take care of me. I've got these other gods. I'm just going to keep them in the bin. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep them there just in case. They're, 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 they may have value. They probably were, they probably were valuable. But she's, she's keeping a backup plan. And so many people, and this really goes along with with our sermon this morning, that people are keeping a backup plan. No, this, this is not. And this morning sermon is not about saving and planning for the future and and having a retirement fund. And that's not what this is about. It's about depending on that and not being obedient to God because you're afraid you're going to lose that to follow him. She, she wasn't ready to leave her, the gods of her father behind. Laban was selfish and self-serving. Laban desired to keep his family with him. He desired to keep them away from the promises that God had for them. 
And in that way, Laban is like the world. Jacob is like Jesus. And the daughters are like the bride of Christ. That there is a time coming when Jesus is going to come, right? He's going to come in the clouds. First Thessalonians chapter 4. He's going to come in the clouds and he's going to take us away. And we will not prevent them which are asleep. Those which are alive and remain then will be caught up in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There is that time coming. And guess what? No matter what you do, nothing's going to stop you. Right? Nothing. Dirt isn't going to hold you back. The grave isn't going to hold you back. If you're in the grave, the grave will give, up, give you up. But in a spiritual sense, we're being called out of this world. We're being called to leave this world. And Jesus is saying, let's go. It's time to go. And we go, okay, I'm on board. Let's go. But the world won't let go. The world's chasing us down and saying, no, it's not time. No, there's still so much here. I don't want you to leave. And there's a battle going on between Jesus and the world that sometimes we feel caught in the middle. And in our flesh, we struggle with, my, my, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. My spirit says, let's go this way, but my flesh keeps getting pulled back by Laban and the gods of this world. The world offers you a backup plan to the true God. But there are no backup plans for God. You either serve him or you are serving false gods, the false gods of the world. It may not be little statues, and it's probably not little statues, but it might be that phone in your hand that you won't put down during church. And I know, listen, I know some of you, I hear, listen, I hear from people. Man, people are on their phones all the time. I'm going to assume you read the Bible or taking your notes. <coughs> but you know that's a generous assumption. You won't put your phone down to listen to the Word of God. You won't put your phone down to read the Word of God. You say, I struggle, man. I get on my phone, I'm trying to read the Bible, and, and then read the paper Bible. Get, get off of those things. You, you're, you're, some, for many people, that is their God. For some people, it is their, their possessions, their house, their cars. It's their bank account. It's, I've got to keep checking. I'm gonna, don't raise your hand. Okay? How many of you checked your bank account during church service tonight or this morning? I wonder how many of us did that. I didn't do that because I was preaching. But I might have if I wasn't. Because I struggle with my gods. There's a constant pull. We want Jesus is saying, come out of the world. You got to get away from that. And the gods are pulling back saying, no, no, don't leave. The lust of the flesh. Jacob need to get, needed to get his family away from this worldly man. In a few chapters, we're going to see Jacob call for the riddance of all the gods. And as I said before, they didn't sell those gods. They burnt them. They, they melted them down. Just as Rachel and Leah were looking back to their father for security in his inheritance, the inheritance of the world, many Christians will not detach their hopes from this world. You see, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you. Pastor, you're really getting honest with me. I'm getting on me. God's working in me too. This, this, uh, this thought of, I don't know, what I, I don't have it up there, the, the thought of growing faith, not a perfect faith, but a growing faith that applies to me as much as it does anybody. That I just want to be a man of growing faith. And sometimes it takes warnings from Scripture to say, like this, to say, hey, listen, be careful because the world is drawing you, the world is pulling. And you say, well, my issue, I don't have an issue with the phone, I don't have an issue with my bank account. You should see my bank account, there's nothing in it. Sometimes our issue and our God is the fact that there's nothing in there, and we're bitter towards God because it's not what we think it should be. 
whatever it is, because it may not be finances, it may not be your phone, it may not be sports, it may not, whatever it is. I'm not a woman. I don't think like a woman. And I don't understand how women think. But whatever it is for you, realize what is holding you back from letting go of the world and just following Jesus, headed towards the promised land. Will you give up tonight, whatever it is, that is holding you back? We're going to prepare to sing. Brother Pat's going to come up and lead us and take my life and let it be. And it couldn't be a more appropriate song, I think. For this invitation, if, if you, you know I'm going to give you the gospel. If you're here today without Jesus Christ, you've never turned your back on sin, turned your back on your other gods, as we talked about this morning, and repented of it and turned to God, turned to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, please repent tonight. Turn to him. Be saved. Trust him as your Savior. But I know there's a lot of people in this room who are saved. And I hope you're all just loving Jesus. I hope you just love him more than anything. And I, and I think that that's probably the case. For, and I hope that's the case for a lot of people. But listen, there may be somebody here who's saying, man, I'm really struggling with the world. I'm really struggling with letting go of the things of the world. And it may be, listen, it may be what you're looking at, guys, especially guys, but I think it's true of women too. Maybe what you're looking at on the internet. And maybe, maybe, maybe your phone's a god in that way. And you won't let go. Listen, you're not going to beat that on your own. It's got to be only with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. And your brothers in Christ, ladies, your sisters in Christ are here for you. And they will help you through it. Whatever it is that is your God, are you ready to let go of it? Are you willing to let go of it tonight? Because that battle is going to keep raging. You're not going to have peace until you do that. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.